I'm Keith MacArthur. Unlocking Bryson's Brain is a podcast about my son, (laughs) the rare disease that keeps him from walking or talking. I mean, Bryson's perfect, but his life is really hard. And our family's search for a cure. Oh my gosh, maybe science is ready for this. It's part memoir, part medical mystery. We can do just about anything. Modifying DNA. My heart and my throat. Cure is controversial. Unlocking Bryson's Brain. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. This is White Coat Blackheart. If doctor or nurse pops up when you think healthcare, you're not alone. How long have you two known each other? Know, 26 years. Recently, I got to meet two hardworking health professionals whose job descriptions had, until now, never come to my attention. They're different years than aging years. But these unsung individuals have a profound impact on the lives of their patients. Okay, so each of you in turn, I just want you to give us a hi, my name is. Tell us what you do, where you do it, how long you've been doing it. Hi, my name is David Broman. I'm a certified prosthetist and orthodist and fellow of the certification board. I've been practicing in Kelowna for 42 years. Scott, your turn. Hi, my name's Scott Headland. I'm a certified prosthetist in the Vancouver area. Uh, started in the field in 93. My practice is in New Westminster, BC. Um, I've worked in Cameroon, uh, doing some prosthetic work there, and currently working, doing some work with an organization who primarily uh, focuses on work in Nepal. So doing some work with them as well. Wow. You guys do a lot of work. There's a lot to unpack there, so let me give you a quick primer. Scott Headland is a certified prosthetist. He designs, builds, fits, and fixes prosthetic appliances like artificial limbs. David Broman does all that, and he's a certified orthotist. That means he also designs, builds, and fits orthotic devices that support joints like ankles, the spine, and even the human skull. I learned all of that and a lot more when I spoke at a conference in Whistler put on by Orthotics Prosthetics Canada. It's the national organization that credentials professionals like David and Scott. Scott Headland, David Broman, welcome to White Coat Blackheart. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. People are going to, people listening to us are not going to know the difference. So why don't you tell me very quickly the difference between an orthotist and a prosthetist. So an orthodist provides braces to the external part of the body, uh, foot orthotics, knee braces, back braces, spinal braces, things that are designed to correct or support the body. A certified prosthetist provides artificial limbs that are external to the body, like arms and legs. I've been a physician for four decades. I'm ashamed to admit that until I met the two of you, I can hardly remember ever having a conversation with an orthotist or a prosthetist. So what's the first thing that you think I don't know about what you do? Probably the first thing I think of is that we do a very comprehensive treatment process where we start the individual from basically the day of their amputation and we follow them through every day until either they're Either they pass away or they move to another city. That sounds like years. It can be decades. The longest 
client I have right now has been over 40 years. <gasps> Scott, walk me through the process of making a prosthesis from start to finish. Um, start to finish. So at, when we first meet somebody to, to discuss a new prosthetic treatment plan, um, essentially it's we start out by identifying goals. We start out by understanding what somebody's expectations of, of what this thing is supposed to look like, what they want to do with it is all really critical. Um, once we've identified that and um, unfortunately gotten the funding part of it out of the way as well, uh, sometimes there are some limitations and implications from a funding perspective as far as what that prosthesis can look like. Once we start work, we do our initial shape capture. Typically that's um, with a, a plaster on the limb uh, type application. Um, that plaster we we will tend to kind of form as it hardens and do some uh, some initial modification to that right on the patient's limb once that um, once we have that plaster cast finished and and it's it's set we'll fill that up modify it further and then fabricate a socket over top of that cast attach it through componentry to either the terminal device in an upper limb scenario or down to the floor, down to a foot, essentially, on a, a lower limb prosthesis. Um, we have the person stand up in it or, or initially put it on and start to manipulate the, the device. Um, then that's where the alignment comes in. It's really critical to make sure that the, the orientation of the socket and the foot and knee and, and or terminal device and elbow, we need to make sure that all of those work well together. The interplay between those different components and the socket is absolutely critical. The socket itself really needs to hold well. It needs to be very snug uh, in certain areas and hold the person exactly right so that they can operate that prosthesis without any unwanted movement or unwanted pressures. I'm getting exhausted just <laughs> listening to all this. How many hours and weeks, days and weeks are we talking about with you and one client? Start to finish, it can be 20 hours, 15, 20 hours. Wow. That's a lot of time. Are you well compensated for that? In some... Uh, <laughs> I, I, I notice I didn't ask you to tell me what your compensation is. <laughs> I just asked, are you well compensated? And I, I sound like there's a, it sounds like there's a bit of hesitation there. There is a bit of hesitation. Um, in, a, in a pure sense, if everything goes well... Um, it's probably it's probably fair, um, but those scenarios where everything does go according to plan, it's not necessarily every single time. There are times where we get most of the way through that process and we have to turn around and we have to redo something. Or we'll get all the way to the end of the process and the soft tissue changes and we need to start over or we need to back it up uh, to the previous step and and make things a second time or a third time so there are times where it's we aren't fairly compensated there's also a lot of times where we recognize that there is a need but there isn't the funding for it and in the long-term relationship with this person who we've gotten to know really really well and are you know, I would even go as far as to say we're absolutely friends and it's an interesting relationship where I know that I can help. I know that I can provide this extra bit of, you know, go that extra mile or do the extra thing. And that person is going to be far better off. And I know that I'm not going to get compensated for it. And I don't begrudge that person that it's, you know, I would rather do that and have that person be treated well than, than not do it because I'm not going to get paid for it. So 
David, have you have you ever had a situation where you've had a patient where you wanted to get them a better prosthetic limb and you couldn't because because they couldn't afford it and because the system wasn't wasn't going to pay for them? More times than not, it's it's um, very dependent on the age and the activity level of some of these individuals. Um, quite often, you'll get uh, somebody that's young and active, and they require a more active prosthesis, or they have skin issues that require uh, better componentry and liners. Uh, but due to the basic functionality mandate, we can't provide that unless we try and find other alternate funding sources or sometimes eat the cost. Eat the cost. What does that mean? Eat the cost. Well, sometimes you, you know that that patient is going to do better on a specific liner. And What's a liner, by the way? Oh, a liner is... Um, an interface usually out of silicone thermoplastics or urethane which um, goes over the residual limb and it acts as an interface a shock absorbing layer between the limb itself and the prosthetic socket and quite often these liners are expensive and uh, there are certain types of individuals athletics and athletic people and diabetic people that could benefit from a higher quality liner, but they're not covered. So sometimes we just bite the bullet and provide them that liner anyway at a loss. And how, how expensive are these? Uh, liners can range anywhere from 600 to about $1,200. And some of the custom-made ones for specific patients, which um, they don't fit in standard liners, can be upwards of sixteen to $1,800. And you'll at times eat the cost of that? At times. Why? Because the alternative is what if you don't? Uh, the alternative is usually continued skin breakdown, um, a worsening of their condition. Uh, quite often when uh, patients have problems, sores on their limbs, they don't walk very much, they don't go to work that day, they don't get paid. And it's just a snowball effect. So if you provide them with the proper prosthesis, the proper liner, the proper foot, you know that you're going to be able to allow them to continue their lives as normally as they possibly can. They're going to be far fewer repercussions down the road. And quite honestly, you're going to get a much happier person. So somebody ends up unhappy in that scenario and what you're saying is it'd rather be you you'd rather it be you than than your than your patient there's a term for that it's called moral injury mm -hmm. um have you experienced that too scott absolutely on a regular basis and i think that that's probably um probably an experience that every prosthetist and orthotist has had across the country The term moral injury was coined by an American psychiatrist named Jonathan Shea. It refers to the psychological or spiritual harm done to health professionals, first responders and soldiers when they can't do what they feel is morally right because their bosses or the system won't permit it. We'll be right back. The climate is changing, so are we. I'm Laura Lynch and I host What on Earth? That's CBC's Climate Solutions Podcast. Twice a week, we take you around the world to find the people who are trying to build a better future for all of us. 
We explore Indigenous science, new technologies. We talk openly about mental health and climate anxiety. We also take your smart questions all the time. Come find What on Earth wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to White Coat Black Art. This week, a revealing conversation with Scott Hedlund, a certified prosthetist in Vancouver, and David Broman, a certified prosthetist and orthotist in Kelowna. David talked about the tight bond that forms between providers like he, Scott, and their patients. As David said, it's a bond that can last decades, one that often begins quite suddenly. I can imagine, at least I've seen enough movies, that shows you the depth of my knowledge of what orthodists and prosthetists do. And I'm, I'm a little bit embarrassed, but that's one of the reasons why I'm talking to you. I can imagine that the first day that you meet with a patient, that a patient meets with you, could either be the best day or the worst day. David? Hmm. Quite often when we meet a a patient for the first time, they've undergone a significant life-changing event. There's a lot of trauma. Uh, The whole family's upset. They're upset, and they have a hundred questions. They they don't know where they're going to go. In some instances, they think their, their life is over. And it can be very difficult to step into that situation and try and provide a ray of hope without sounding like you're just a cliche. And what we try very hard to do is to understand the problem, to listen, to listen to the family, to listen to the patient, and then guide them through the process and explain to them that, yes, we're going to get you up. Yes, we're going to get you moving, and we're going to take really good care of you. The best day, the best appointment is first steps, when somebody is able to take their first steps on a prosthesis. And we've had so many of them where, you know, I find, I don't know if you're the same, Dave, but I find the best view, I, I try to position myself in my office, in my clinic, around my parallel bars where I can actually see the person and work with the amputee, but I can also see their spouse, their caregiver, where oftentimes this person has been through two, three years of of chronic issues with their foot, other associated health issues, comorbidities, the, the works, and they've gone through this amputation, extended hospital stay, and finally, this is the day where there is a marked turning point in that person's independence and to see the impact of that on their spouse, on their caregiver, on their family member, on whomever else is in that room, just to see the look on their face when they see that person get up and, and stand and walk again for the first time since everything went down the down the spiral. It's, it's a pretty amazing feeling. Yeah, I had a, um, an elderly woman who um, I, I went up to the ward saw her one evening and she was crying um she asked me or she said you know why didn't god take me i'm i'm old i should be dead and uh i explained what i was and the whole time she basically just cried and then when we got her onto a prosthesis for the very first time do you want me to tell the, the story okay um so at the same time, I was seeing another gentleman who had just become a bilateral amputee. He had both legs uh, amputated below the knees. And uh, we uh, started off with him. We 
uh, fit his prosthesis and we started to do the dynamic alignment which is where you walk them back and forth in their um, transparent diagnostic sockets with their feet in the parallel bars and we were with the physios and the OTs and we walked him back and forth and he did very well uh, he sat down and then we proceeded to uh, do this uh, lady's prosthesis we put the prosthesis on her and she stood up and uh, I'll never forget she she had one hand on the parallel bars and one hand with a Kleenex to her face because she was still crying and she walked back and forth through the parallel bars I did what I had to do uh, just to get her aligned a little bit and um, this gentleman said uh, David would you excuse me for a second I have something very important I need to do and he walked up to this woman and said, Edith, may I have this dance? And they waltzed around the clinic room. And every one of us was in tears. It was the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. That man made her day, made her life. And sent her on a path of accepting the fact that she was an amputee. And every time I saw her, she always asked me, how was he doing? For David and his colleagues, the emotional part of the job comes at a cost. Moral injury is just one of several factors. That deep attachment to their patients is another. Hearing about that was a revelation to me. It's something prosthetists like Scott say they don't often talk about. Looking back, and I hadn't thought about this until just now, but looking back, it's 99% of those stories are the triumphs that we share amongst each other. It's, uh, it's very seldom that we talk about the, those frustrating cases and those impossible cases and the, just the tragic stories that we sometimes deal with. And, you know, we, I don't know if it's still um, the case, but last I had heard the average life expectancy for a diabetic a person with diabetes who's had an amputation is five years. I'm, I'm not sure if that's still the case or if that's hopefully it's gotten better. But we deal with a lot of people and we get really close with a lot of people at, at end of life. And, you know, to get really close with somebody and then see them deteriorate and decline. And you can tell, and I'm, I've, I'm guessing that you see the same thing. You can see the spark in someone's eye. And you can tell in that appointment where the spark is gone. In the client, in your patient. You've seen that? Yeah. Because you see them often enough. You actually, you see them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Take your time. Oh, I stitches. <clears throat> yeah. Well, you can use the, you can use the tablecloth if you need. <laughs> Sorry, Brian. I'm going to have to, just oh. give me a sec with this. That's okay. Take your time. Take, have a, have a glass of water. Do you see that too, Dave? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 the terrible part of the job. It really is because you you do become good friends and and you know the statistics and especially when they become a bilateral amputee with diabetes, you you know the life expectancy is is limited and and it's it's very painful because you do see that in their eyes and you do see that in their mannerisms and you do know that you're going to get that call or you're going to have somebody's wife show up one day in tears with a bag full of legs and say he didn't make it he died last night or he died the night you know and it 
Yeah, it's it's a it's a the most difficult part of the of the job. Yeah. We do become very close to our our patients because we have such a, a personal relationship with them and and they they talk to us all the time. They tell us everything. It's it's unbelievable how much they'll confide in us because we spend hours with them. What kinds of things do they you're not obviously you're not going to violate confidentiality but what kinds of things do they like to talk about do they confide in you about um they they talk a lot about their lives about their regrets about some very scary things sometimes like um i don't know if i should say this but uh my husband beats me or um uh, sorry now i need a sec Like quite often, especially with uh, young children, the the toll that takes on their family is tremendous. When you you have a young child with um, some type of disability that requires a prosthetic or orthotic that's fairly intense, and uh, you can see relationships strain and break, and you can see that these children need a lot of support. And they see us a lot, which takes away from the other children. And you can see growing resentments and um, there's divorces that happen. And, and quite often you're trying to console these people and try and help them manage as best you can. But it's, it's and it happens in prosthetics too, where suddenly the, you know, the husband who was the breadwinner, uh, now the wife's doing everything and they get resentful. And you can see the strain on the relationship. Probably the most difficult one I ever had was a physician who had a stroke. Here's a brilliant man who was very articulate. And all of a sudden he has a drop foot, uh, a hand that he can't use, and he can't talk. And he got so upset when his wife tried to help him that he would scream at her. And it was so frustrating for him. And it put such a strain on their marriage that you, you could see exactly where it was going to go, that this marriage was going to end in him in a home or something worse. And and it, it took a while to figure out what to do because we're not trained psychologists. It's not our profession at all. Um, but it, it took a while to to redirect his anger redirect the the focus of what we were doing to try and get him to say okay what to his wife why don't you sit out in the car go have a coffee and we'll do this together and and he can get mad at me and and we can we can work it out and that that really helped because he learned to communicate with me and she didn't have to try and second guess what he was trying to say and get it wrong and you know kind of incur his wrath so part engineer part psychologist part confessor bartender bartender yeah sometimes a good scotch would be a good idea it's called single malt (laughs) therapy actually i was surprised to learn that orthotists prosthetists can be at some risk of burnout I think with 
with any profession where where you you care for people and you you don't really have an outlet um there's danger of over drinking uh overeating depression um social isolation because you just don't want to deal with people anymore and i've suffered it myself and it uh actually is uh, one of the leading reasons why i resigned or sorry i retired is um it it got to the point where getting out of bed in the morning wasn't a lot of fun and other you know when you're at work you're happy you're joyful you're joking with everybody but uh, when you get off you turn that switch and then you're back to being a little bit upset maybe not yourself anymore and it's it's uh I think there's probably a, a fair amount of alcoholism in, involved in our profession. Uh, I mean, certainly, let's just say a little bit more than social drinking. <laughs> it sounds like, you know, I'm just guessing here, but it sounds like in your line of work, you're exposed to a lot more emotional trauma in your patients than you ever thought you were you were you had signed up for. I had no idea. It's looking back. It's um, I think that that's something that we weren't prepared enough for going through school, going through our our training. Um, it's something that we definitely learn on the job. It's uh, it's a huge and very important aspect of what we do dealing with dealing with people going through that grief and going through through that that loss and that reidentification and and you know putting that putting that patient first and helping as much as we can helping through that um we do put a lot of our ourselves into what we do we put a lot of time and effort into the way that i look at it is treating people the way that i would want to be treated well i want to thank both of you for speaking with me because you told me about some things that i've never heard before and if i hadn't have asked um, you, I wouldn't have learned. So thank you. Scott, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. David, thank you. Thank you very much. Scott Headland and David Broman say until they got into practice, they didn't know much about the emotional toll of being orthotists and prosthetists. It's much the same for ER physicians like me. We have much more in common than I ever imagined. That's our show this week. If you'd like to comment, our email address is whitecoat at cbc.ca. And if you want to learn more about the intricate craft of building a prosthetic leg, visit cbc.ca slash whitecoat to check out this amazing video of prosthetist and orthotist Eric Graham that was produced by CBC videographer Andrew Nguyen. White Coat Black Art was produced this week by Jeff Goods and me with help from Sujata Berry and Stephanie Dubois. Our digital producer is Ruby Buiza, and our senior producer is Colleen Ross. That's medicine from my side of the gurney. I'm Brian Goldman. See you next week. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.